0: Welcome to the Bible Feed Podcast, a place of conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome to the next episode of the Bible Feed Podcast. I'm Dan Weatherall, and today. I have a guest, I have James Andrews with me and we've got a really exciting topic in front of us, I think. Hi James, welcome. Hi Dan, thank you very much for having me
1: on the podcast.
0: It's going to be a really good topic, I think. The last few episodes we've started quite an ambitious series. We're doing Bible book overviews or introductions to each biblical book, just as a short overview of Genesis and Exodus, which we've done so far. And of course, we're going to do Leviticus at some point and then on through the Bible. So it's helpful to have other episodes to just pause on those and start thinking about other questions. One of those is, well, hold on a minute. As Christians, why are we in the Old Testament altogether? And so the topic we're going to be thinking about specifically is is how Jesus read the Old Testament. So this is almost a bit of a bridge between followers of Jesus, Christians in the New Testament, and the Old Testament. How did Jesus read the Old Testament? Let's just start by thinking broadly about how different Christians might approach the Old Testament. So, James, what are common ways that Christians might approach the Old Testament?
1: Yeah, so I think it can fall into two different extremes, really, because sometimes there can be a view among some Christians, maybe, that the Old Testament is of very little value to Christian life. People say, you know, we follow Jesus, we find the message of Jesus in the New Testament, why do we need to bother with the Old Testament? Maybe people have never really read or engaged with the Old Testament very much, so that sort of view may come a little bit from from just being afraid of what, what the Old Testament's all about and not understanding the sort of background and the history to the Old Testament. And I think also a lot of Christians have, have questions around some parts of the Old Testament, like some of the passages which have violence or seem to sh- show lots of warfare or, you know, various mm. different issues that come out of a book which has its roots in the ancient Near East, really. So, And and questions around why is God allowing these things to happen? Why does God sometimes appear to command these things to happen? And also, as you've touched on with looking at Exodus and Leviticus, there are lots of obscure laws and rules and regulations that don't seem that much relevant to, to Christian life. So there's all these kind of different things which which maybe put people off digging further into the Old Testament, which is really a shame because of, of the great value that it has. So I guess that's one area, one way of that Christians yeah. may think about the Old Testament, wrongly perhaps. On the other extreme, perhaps there are those who try to apply the Old Testament directly without understanding its cultural context. So just kind of lifting passages of the Old Testament and applying them directly to life in a very different society today, And I think that that has its problems and issues as well. Somehow between these either extreme of either just dismissing the Old Testament altogether versus applying it maybe over-literally sometimes, I think somehow we have to try to find a a path through that and and a a way to access and approach the Old Testament while also making it relevant to our lives as Christians today.
0: Okay, so I suppose it's a a very wide spectrum, isn't it? I guess we might, if we're honest with ourselves, apply different rationale to different parts of the Old Testament, we, we might look mm. at some and think how obscure it is and then look at other parts and say, well, that's applicable to me today and f- forevermore. So yeah, w- when you put those two extremes, it, it raises the question, what's the thing that drives us to make these interpretive decisions? You know, How do we decide what, what's applicable, what's obscure, or are those even the right sort of categories? A uh,
1: quite often quoted example is from Leviticus chapter 19. Okay. Where we have a, a passage that says, "Love your neighbor as yourself," and that's obviously something that's picked up by Jesus, and is, yeah. is something that has a, a universal kind of application to us. And we can see immediately why that's that's a really relevant teaching. But Leviticus 19 also has passages like, "You should not wear a garment made of two kinds of material," which is a very specific oh. law that applied to the the people of ancient Israel. But I don't think there's any Christians today who would say that's something that we should necessarily Mm. live by today. But then that raises the question of how do we decide which of the things from the Old Testament are relevant and which Mm. are part of the culture of the time? And what's the guiding principle that we have for that?
0: That's fascinating. So we're instinctively dismissing one part of that chapter and sort of overlooking it and instinctively clinging on to another part. I don't think you're going to suggest to us today that we, we forget about loving our neighbour as ourselves. That's that's probably something we, we're going to still carry on doing. So we're going to focus on Jesus and how Jesus used the Old Testament and how he read it. How do you think that's going to help us? What In what way do you think that's going to really help us understand and, and pay attention to our methodology?
1: Yeah, well I think to me this is really the key to sort of unlocking the Old Testament and the message of the Old Testament for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus today, because after all, the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures was the only Bible that Jesus himself had. Mm-hmm. The New Testament was obviously written after Jesus. Yeah. So thinking about how Jesus approached the Old Testament scriptures is for me a really key starting point in sort of navigating them, trying to work our way through some of the complexities and some of the challenges, but also appreciating the value and and, and how the the message of the Old Testament is still really relevant. So a really useful verse uh, from the Bible in this context is from the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, um, where it says, that right at the beginning of Hebrews, it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the Old Testament is God speaking in different ways at different times to the fathers, the people of Israel, the, the forerunners of Jesus. The Old Testament is the record of God's words. We, we would understand and believe it to be God's word, God's revelation. But Jesus is also God's revelation in these last days, as the writer says. So Jesus is the ultimate, the final, the full revelation of God. So the Bible is God's word but also Jesus is God's word. I mean mm. John's gospel begins by saying that Jesus is is the word of God as well. So so Jesus is God's revelation, the Bible is God's revelation. So we have to understand the Old Testament scriptures and the whole Bible in the light of Jesus and his example and what he taught and showed us. So that's to me is the sort of starting point for them working back into the Old Testament and, and seeing what it has to offer mm. to us as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus.
0: Hmm. So I suppose Jesus is, is like the, the barometer to it all. He's the, the compass point. Jesus is the one to whom we should look and then through a Jesus lens understand what God was revealing long ago and in many different ways, through the different prophets and, and so on, because Jesus, the Son, was the one who was being pointed forward to.
1: That's goes for both how he how he read the Old Testament, because often mm-hmm. he quoted from it and gave interpretations of it, but also from the way that he lived it out, the way that he embodied the message of the Old Testament, and so you yeah. see it from from both of those points of view, really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he definitely, like you said, his Bible was the old testament i mean he wouldn't have called it that (laughs) i guess it would have been that you know the the tanakh whether it was called that at the time the hebrew scriptures it would just be known as the scriptures i guess to him and so he definitely referred to that on many occasions and and i'm reminded of that time it's luke 24 where he says talking to his disciples after his resurrection and they really didn't understand what had happened his death his resurrection and he says verse 44 these are my words that i spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So is referring back to, well, presumably that's specific parts of the Bible or the Old Testament, the scriptures that was available to him and saying that they point forward to him.
1: That's a really helpful kind of summary verse, isn't it? Because I think in at the time of Jesus, Jews, Jewish people would refer to, The law, the prophets and the Psalms as Mm -hmm. a way of summarizing the whole of the Old Testament. It was Mm -hmm. divided into those three parts. I think that some of the history books were included in the prophets. So it was, it was, they were grouped into those three sections. So all, all of the Old Testament there is pointing forwards to Jesus. And, and also it's interesting that Jesus uses this word fulfilled. He uses that word a lot to, um, to describe his relationship Mm -hmm. to the Old Testament in his teachings and his, his actions. It, It has to be fulfilled. And that the word fulfill has a, a literal meaning it means fill something up to the full uh, it's used for example when the disciples are casting their nets into the Sea of Galilee and the f- nets are filled full of fishes okay. so that's what that's a literal use but it's it's used metaphorically as well to describe acting out something to the fullest extent taking something to its core its greatest extreme in a way. Jesus uses it negatively when he talks about the religious leaders of his day. He says to them, fill up the measure of your fathers. So do to the fullest extent the the bad things that your fathers did in the past. But on a positive side, Jesus filled up or fulfilled, did to the fullest extent what the Old Testament scriptures were pointing towards so he kind of lived lived it out to the full he showed it to the full extent the full meaning Mm. the true meaning in a way and i think that's really helpful when we when we're thinking about jesus in relation to the old testament that he fulfilled it in the sense that he he shows what its true meaning is what it was always Mm. supposed to convey to people but maybe had been missed and jesus jesus fulfilled it in that way
0: Okay, that's fascinating. I just want to make sure I've got it in my head correct. That metaphor, fill up the measure of your fathers. So that's the negative metaphor, isn't it? Let me just see if I've got this right. It's almost like a measuring jug and all the bad deeds of the religious leaders of the day are being poured in and they are filling up the measure, you know, and perhaps overflowing. You know, they are completely fulfilling to the fullest extent their bad deeds. Is Is that... Is that kind of the word picture? Yeah, yeah. In that
1: context, it's in Matthew 23. And uh, Jesus is talking about the fact that their their fathers killed the prophets. And now he knew that they were planning eventually to kill him. Mm. So they rejected the prophets that God sent in the past. Now they were going to reject the Son of God himself. Mm. And so they've taken it to another extreme in in terms of what their their actions are are doing. Whereas, yeah, in the positive sense, Jesus shows the positive side of things to the full.
0: Yeah, and it's th- it's interesting, it's the prophets that their fathers were destroying, and of course it's the prophets that are responsible for much of the scriptures, and now Jesus is fulfilling that Okay, so that's a helpful summary verse. We've got those three sections uh, of the Hebrew Scriptures, the, the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Often what came under the Psalms as a catch-all, you know, using the Psalms as a title, was, was the, the writings, wasn't it? I think the Psalms, Proverbs, mm. the later books after the exile, and poetry books, wisdom books. So that's thought would be useful, is thinking about how Jesus used and quoted from each of those sections. Maybe just taking one or two examples, of each would be really helpful. So think about the law then, the the law, the Torah, the first five books. When I think about Jesus and the law, there's the very famous passages in for example Matthew 5. So Jesus is putting sections of the law of Moses or the laws from of old, putting them up, examining them and saying something else. So for example, Matthew 5 verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So so there's just one example. You've got this idea of him saying, look, look back at the law, these things that come from the law. You've heard it said this, but now I'm going to say this. And, and it is in the context of him saying, don't think I've come to do- abolish the law of the prophets I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them so that's the same point that you were just making earlier what does what does Jesus mean when he takes parts of the the law takes parts of the Torah and basically says look you've heard this but I'm saying this because that does sound like he's effectively overriding it doesn't it
1: yeah it does well I mean it's interesting that the example that you've given comes in the context as you say of the Sermon on the Mount which is in Matthew 5 6 and 7 and Matthew's gospel is often thought to be quite a Jewish gospel maybe mm. written primarily for Jewish Christians to show how Jesus fulfills that the law and and sometimes it's, it's been suggested even that the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is like a kind of new Moses. Just like Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the, the law, Jesus goes up a mountain to deliver his teaching as well. So there's, there are so many deliberate kind of echoes of the Old Testament and of Moses and of the law. And throughout the, this teaching, Jesus engages many times with several parts of the Old Testament, but particularly with the law, as you've said. But yeah, when you read passages like the one you quoted, it was said, you shall not murder, but I say, um, don't even be angry. It, it does, at first sight, seem like maybe a contradiction or, or a contrast between what the law said versus what Jesus said. But I think when we look closely at these teachings, Jesus almost always gives not only a negative, but also a positive action. So if we take the anger one as an example, we have, yeah, the law said, do not murder. I say, do not be angry. But then Jesus goes on and says, if you're offering your gift before the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, go and be reconciled. And I I think that's really powerful because I think sometimes we get fixated on the do not be angry part, well, that's a really hard thing not to do. If you if you're ever angry and someone mm. says "calm down" or "don't be angry," then it's the last thing you you do. You, you know, yeah, it just makes work. you even more worked up. <laughs> um, but we can all leave our gift and go and be reconciled. Go and take a small step towards making up with someone. It's a positive action we can do. And I think if you look closely through the different examples that Jesus gives, there's often this sort of positive. action outcome that Jesus is wanting from us. You know, the next one along is, he speaks about the the law's commandment not to commit adultery, but then he says in, I think, quite metaphorical language, but he's saying we should basically put aside anything that might cause us to to have feelings of lust in our hearts. He talks about oaths, you shouldn't swear falsely, but then uh, Jesus says, don't even take an oath at all, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, your speech should always be truthful with integrity. So, All of these go back to that idea of fulfilling in the sense that Jesus is bringing out the true meaning of what the law was meant to teach. The law said, do not murder, but Jesus is bringing out a deeper and fuller meaning of that, which is don't even be angry, because murder starts usually with anger. Any kind of violence usually starts with bad feelings inside us, anger or jealousy or whatever it may be. So try to not even have those feelings, but instead take these positive actions towards A better way that jesus is showing us so i i think jesus in a very real way in this teaching is showing what fulfilling the law really means it's bringing out the full meaning of the law so yeah and i think it's important to like emphasize it's not this unattainable ideal like never be angry but it's like do what mm. you can to take these steps to be reconciled and that's what i think is more the the outcome Mm. that jesus wants from this teaching
0: so practically, it will look like that, because actually yeah. anger is probably going to come to us all at, at some time. But he's, he's getting to the heart of what the law was trying to do anyway. The next one, after this is retaliation, actually, that's that's often quoted, isn't it? You've, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So turn the other cheek instead of an eye for an eye, tooth for the tooth. So that, that one seems really stark in... In the law, you can you read, well, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but Jesus is saying not. But it, it, is that, in some sense, bringing out what the fuller meaning of what was behind those laws about retaliation in, in the Old Testament?
1: I think, first of all, we go back to the original eye for an eye thing, because that mm. is perhaps sometimes misunderstood, I think. I think in the original context, the purpose of that law is to limit retribution. So if someone takes out your eye, you shouldn't go out after them and kill them. You should yeah, take a proportionate response to, to what they've done wrong. Um, and there's a question about how far the law was actually applied in a very literal way or whether it was mm. actually more about establishing principles for justice. So so even the eye for an eye thing, I'm not sure that they that they would have actually carried that out literally at the time. But the purpose behind it in any way was... to to limit retribution and make sure that the punishment was proportionate to the crime. So in that sense, if you think about it in that direction, Jesus is just going one step further and is saying, don't seek retribution at all. So the law is saying, let your retribution be proportionate. Jesus is saying, don't let retribution be a factor at all. So Mm. I think when you see it in that kind of trajectory, Jesus is is bringing out the full meaning of what the law was kind Mm. of directing people
0: towards. And I suppose that with the law saying you've got to think carefully about retribution and it being proportionate in the context of perhaps ancient Near East cultures having, well, if a slave Mm. does this to you, you can kill him, his wife, his his kids and everything else. I'm sure there's things like that in the Babylonian laws. I'm sure I've come across that before. So on the surface, it looks like Jesus is saying the Old Testament law of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was for then but now we've got this and this is different guys so we don't need that old testament law and actually he's saying this is what it was all about all along maybe
1: another way to kind of look at it as well is obviously the law of moses was given for a whole society for a whole nation and it focuses Mm -hmm. more on the outward aspects of behavior what what could be governed by law for society yeah Whereas Jesus' teaching is for his disciples. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, his disciples are kind of gathered around him there on the mountainside to listen to his teaching. And he's giving this teaching for them in the first place. And so if we today are seeking to be disciples of Jesus, then it's about our attitudes, our hearts, our motivations. Those are the things that Jesus is encouraging us to think about and challenging us and, and helping us to develop and grow. So there's a difference of emphasis in that way as well, I think, between the the law for the whole people of Israel versus the teaching for Jesus' disciples and those who are committed to him.
0: Let's just move on and think about the prophets and just an example of where Jesus pulled a a passage out of the prophets and used it in his teaching. There's a, a really interesting one in Matthew 9, actually. So just a few pages on from where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 9, on a number of occasions when the Pharisees are not very happy with what he's doing, when he's, verse 10, reclining at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners come and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees don't like it. And he says, verse 12, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. And this is where he's quoting now. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And I think that's a quotation from Hosea, one of the one of the small prophets in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah, so I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's an example, Jesus quoting from from the prophet. I know it's just one little small sentence of the prophets, but perhaps that can be helpful for us to work out another example of him using a different part of this the scriptures now. What can we learn from this?
1: Well, it's a, another a really good example of Jesus drawing the, the wisdom and the teaching and the message, the real message of the Old Testament. Because Yeah, prophets had the same message, that that God desires mercy, not sacrifice, that they were calling people to change their ways, to walk in step with God, just like Jesus was. Again, he's not contradicting what went before, but he's bringing out the, the most important message. Obviously, a lot of the Old Testament is concerned about the right forms of sacrifice, because that was the way that God gave people to approach him and to worship him. And they were meant to learn from that things about themselves, their sinfulness, their need for a relationship with God, and and other things as well. But if they did it only as a kind of empty ritual, then they were missing the whole point of those laws that Mm -hmm. God gave them. And that's what the prophets later on came to remind people of. They came to remind people that if they were just following the law as a ritual, they were just paying lip service, just offering sacrifices, but not having real meaning behind it. Then they were they were missing the point of what the whole law was supposed to to be. And if their behaviour contradicted that, if they were offering their paying their religious duties, but then behaving in unjust and immoral ways then that was definitely not what God wanted. So Jesus is reiterating that message, and he's doing it here, in, as you've said, in Matthew chapter 9, in a context where he's being criticised by religious leaders for eating with people that they deemed to be sinners and tax collectors, people who collaborated with the Roman authorities, for example. They themselves, the religious teachers of his day, have have kind of missed the point of the law as well, like those in an earlier generation. And they'd been using the law, the, the external, the, the ritual aspects of the law as a kind of stick to beat people, to judge others, mm-hmm. to condemn these people as sinners. Whereas actually the whole point of the law, uh, as Jesus saw it, was to show the merciful character of God. So mercy is a key aspect of what the law, what the whole of the Old Testament scriptures are, are meant to teach us, the mercy of God and how we should reflect that in our lives.
0: Okay, again, inbuilt into the the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, there is this sort of self-reflection almost that, yes, there's a whole load of chapters all about the right sort of sacrifices at different times. But actually, even within its own pages, you don't even have to go to the New Testament to find passages that talk about God saying, actually, desires mercy, not sacrifice. You know, it's not just Hosea, is it? It's other parts as well. So if we think that Jesus is sort of overturning the Old Testament, actually the Old Testament's already overturned itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. It goes right back to, to Exodus itself, where the Lord, where okay. we find the laws in the first place. But back in Exodus, we have touched on this in your podcast on Exodus as well, God reveals to Moses in Exodus 34 as the Lord who is a, a God merciful and gracious, sweet so yeah. to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's how Mm. God reveals himself right from the start. And that's the essence of God's character, God's nature, that he wants us to know about and to be reflected in the way that we approach him and the way that we treat one another as well. So it is there that thread right the way through the scriptures. But in highlighting it, I think Jesus draws our attention to that theme already present in the Mm. Old Testament and kind of accentuates it and makes us see this is the main point. And so Mm. then when we go back from Jesus into the Old Testament, we can be looking out for that theme of mercy and and God's loving character as as it's traced through the Old Testament as well.
0: He's almost shining a torch to highlight these aspects of the Old Testament to show, look, this is what it's all about. So we've done Genesis and Exodus so far. and, And actually, as a narrative, If paying attention to the storyline, which I think is what we've tried to do in those episodes, God's mercy is always there and always bringing about his promise. And even the whole Exodus story, redeeming them, bringing them out of Egypt, bringing them to the mountain. And then suddenly they they commit idolatry before Moses has even got back down from the mountain with the commandments. And, And yet God is still there wanting to dwell with his people. So yeah, as a narrative, it's teaching us that and then when we get to the prophets, this is a, something very key that Jesus is highlighting. And that might be that might come as a surprise to some people that the Old Testament is emphasising mercy. It's emphasising God's grace, God's mercy. But yeah, is there any other example that we can look to? Well, there's
1: quite a few times when Jesus seems to break the strict letter of the law, or at least the law as it was understood by his contemporaries and applied okay. by them, one example would be when he healed people on the sabbath day march chapter three for example where jesus heals on the sabbath day and he's challenged about it again by the the religious authorities but jesus says is it lawful on the sabbath to do good or to do harm to save life or to kill so he's saying actually the whole point of the Sabbath day was not just so you could observe this kind of strictly work-free ritual, but it was actually to teach you about doing good, about being holy, about dedicating yourselves to God. And so doing good, healing someone, what what better thing can can you do? What better way of honoring the Sabbath day than by doing good on the Sabbath? So again, it's going back to the idea of bringing out the full meaning that it was supposed to convey. But but it's applying, again, that principle of showing mercy, of of doing good, rather than strict adherence to a kind of legal code. Other examples would be when Jesus touched people who had leprosy or various skin diseases okay. yeah. under the law that was forbidden, but Jesus touched them and healed them. And again, the overriding principle is goodness and mercy and, and showing that, that healing power to people. Mm. Perhaps one of the best-known examples would be in John chapter 8, where a woman who has been found to be committing adultery, she's brought before Jesus, and the the religious leaders who bring her want to, to execute her by stoning, which again, there are passages that would indicate that that would be the correct punishment. It's often pointed out that the man in this act of adultery is nowhere to be seen. But anyway, this, this woman is brought before Jesus. She's been found to be committing adultery. And he has those, those famous lines, let, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And Jesus is the only one there who is without sin. He doesn't condemn her either. So again, he's applying mercy and forgiveness and grace and love in that situation. And again, I think we could multiply that through the Gospels where Jesus is really showing what the law was supposed to teach people about God's mercy and God's grace rather than about this kind of strict adherence to a legal code and a kind of self-righteous attitude that maybe some of those authorities around him had.
0: So he's using the prophets or maybe even just carrying on what the prophets were already doing, which was to bring to attention the merciful character of God and God's saving arm is designed to bring that out in, in people. And he's bringing to attention the fullest extent, the fullest expression of the law and that merciful characteristic. So so we've seen that. I suppose now we just need to look at a passage where Jesus looks at the Psalms or any of the other writings in that, that final section of the Hebrew Scriptures. There's one, I think, Psalm 110. So mm. Luke 20, verse 40, this is a chapter full of questions that people bring to Jesus. And then he suddenly asks his own question. He said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? So, yeah, what's Jesus doing when he's using this passage from the Psalms? It's another
1: great example. Before we get to the actual Psalm itself, it's really worth just thinking about the way that Jesus teaches and the way that he uses this this quotation. Because he's, again, criticised by some of the religious leaders around him, and he quotes from this Psalm. And then he ends with a question. David calls him Lord, referring to the psalm, so how is he his son? And he leaves that question hanging. And it's one of many examples of questions that Jesus asks. One writer has calculated that there are over 300 questions that Jesus asks, many of them rhetorical or sort of with this sort of implied answer, but many of them just with kind of leaving a challenge to the audience, okay. including us today when we when yeah. we read them. Um, and I think that's part of the way, well, it's part of how any good teacher teaches by asking mm-hmm. questions. But I think it's also particularly characteristic of a Jewish wisdom teacher. And it's placing Jesus in the tradition of the wisdom writings. You talked earlier about the the old testament writings the psalms proverbs ecclesiastes maybe we could include job in there as mm-hmm, well mm-hmm. these kind of wisdom writings where they're really provoking us and, and challenging us to to think for ourselves about how we apply different biblical principles in different contexts and jesus does this all the time most of all he does it in the parables where he he gives us a not a black and white statement of things to believe, but he gives us a story that we then mm-hmm. turn around in our minds and think about and apply it to ourselves. And he wants us to do that. He wants us to think about, think out its meaning for ourselves and think about how it applies to us. So from this little passage, that would be my first kind of big takeaway is Jesus as as a teacher, a teacher of wisdom and asking questions and making us think for ourselves about the scriptures. He quotes from the scripture and he asks a question, and how do you apply that? How do you think about it? And that's, I think, I kind of take comfort from that, that Jesus is encouraging us to ask questions about the Bible. That's how we learn Mm. from it and how we grow in our understanding. And, And that applies to the New Testament, but particularly, you know, in the context of this discussion, it applies to the Old Testament. So that's the first thing about this little passage. But then thinking about the psalm, it's quite a powerful psalm because it's it's a psalm of David. It's David addressing or speaking of God in the first place, the Lord, God. But then he goes on, the Lord said to my Lord. And so the question Jesus asks is, who is this Lord? If David is the king and he's already mentioned God, the Lord, said to my lord, who is my lord, who is David's lord? He was the king, he was the greatest ruler of his kingdom at the time. And so I think what David is doing in that psalm is thinking back to the promises that God had made him about a greater descendant to come, a a descendant who would rule over his kingdom forever. And and David might not have understood all the details, but David Mm -hmm. knew that God had a greater purpose to come through his descendant for a kingdom that would last forever and this is his ultimate Lord. And that is again a reminder that all of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures are pointing forwards ultimately to Jesus. You know, Abraham looked forward to Jesus. David had this understanding of God's greater purpose to come through this, this Lord who would come. And so, um, that's probably why it's such a, an often quoted psalm, because it's a psalm that shows us quite clearly, as many other passages do from the Old Testament, that the Old Testament writers themselves were looking forward to something greater in God's purpose, to a Messiah, to the anointed one, to God's chosen servant, described in many different ways. It's, it's ultimately pointing forwards to Jesus. And so even if we just read the Old Testament on their own terms, they're telling us J- Jesus mm-hmm. is the one that we're all looking forward to. And again, that links back to our theme of we read the Old Testament in the light of Jesus because the Old Testament itself is telling us to. That it's telling us that that's yeah. what it's pointing to and that's that's how we understand it fully.
0: Mm. Yeah, that made me think of that passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 about the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what personal time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. So yeah, that's put that into real sharp focus actually. How yeah. much the characters, the prophets, the the writers and the people in the Old Testament times were were yearning for, were looking for the fulfilment of the promises and which would be the fulfilment of everything that had been written about. And and it's really helpful just to stop and appreciate the, the questions that Jesus is asking, the way he's interacting with the text, the way he's making us stop. And think and meditate on the scriptures in this wisdom style like a wisdom teacher reminds me of psalm 1 about blessed is the man who meditates on the the law of god who just sort of thinks about it constantly like this tree planted by streams of water so yeah that's really helpful and that's a, an approach to think about which is very different from the just turning to the old testament and thinking and expecting that it's full of laws full of harsh laws and full of violence and full of terrible things that we just we don't have now we just have jesus i think highlighting that is really good because it helps us um, see that continuity without us feeling like we've got this literal application of every single point or every single instruction like don't wear clothes with two materials that sort of thing
1: looking at jesus looking both at uh, his example and his teaching, his approach to scripture, just gives us a real key to yeah, unlocking those Old Testament passages and, and making them real and live and apply to us. So, yeah, hopefully that has been helpful for people to think about.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot, James. I think it's been really helpful, certainly for me, just in the context of doing Old Testament episodes and thinking about them we'll be doing Leviticus next and that's the you know the ultimate Old Testament nitty-gritty of sacrifice and purity rituals and all sorts so having had this discussion is really helpful to just set that framework so something to think about as we approach any part of the the Old Testament as we go forward so thank you very much really great to have you on and thank you to everyone else for listening By all means, let us know what you think. Get in touch with us. Go to our our website, BibleFeed.org. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Reach out. Let us know what you think. It's really good to get some feedback. Let us know which books you want us to tackle next. I mean, Leviticus is coming up at some point soon. We think we might take a hop over to Psalms. And then we might do some New Testament books as well. But yeah, let us know if you've got a um, particular book that you want, want a, a, an introduction for. Let us know and we'll see if we can do that to add to the collection. So until next time, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think and hear your questions on subjects you'd like us to discuss. Get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send us a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey.